This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. We are told that we live in the lonely century and are also told how to restore human connection in a world that's pulling apart. Is your word pulling apart in many respects? Do you feel lonely? Well, according to the publication called The Economist, believe it or not, loneliness is a serious public health problem. The lonely are not just sadder, they're unhealthier and die younger. So they ask the question, what can be done? A 16-year-old in London said that it is a city of sociable loners. A city of sociable loners, which sounds like You can be in a city of multi-millions and still feel lonely. How does that work? We're going to talk about that here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and don't think you're not one of them. Because studies are revealing now, in fact, so many of them coming out just in the last 12 months, that loneliness is sweeping the world. How would we know that? Well, here's an article that just came out, the Ministry of Loneliness. Recently, the conservative government in the United Kingdom, the UK, announced that it was appointing a minister of loneliness. Serious commentators pointed out loneliness is a real and diagnosable scourge in our country. Loneliness has been defined as the perceived sense of isolation, increasing Loneliness is recognized as being an important social determinant of health. Loneliness results in impaired sleep, symptoms of depression, and poor general health. But that's not all. We go to Russia. A Russian member of parliament has proposed a state agency to combat, you guessed it, loneliness. Sergei Leonov has called for the creation of an agency for loneliness affairs in Russia. Then again, the loneliness epidemic, America's epidemic that we aren't talking about. The United States is experiencing a loneliness epidemic as nearly half of Americans feel lonely or left out. The article continues on that community, the values of the world we inhabit and the people we surround ourselves with has a profound effect on who we are. Loneliness is more than just a fleeting feeling of sadness that subsides within a few hours or even a few days. It is a subjective response to how a person feels a discrepancy between one's desired and actual levels of social connection. Loneliness is a general feeling of aloneness, whether others are present or not. And today, Americans are lonelier than they've ever been. It's a contagious feeling that has reached epidemic proportions in the United States as people of all ages and backgrounds struggle to find a sense of belonging. And we were told early on, for those of us that studied psychology, that the need to be loved and to belong were two of the most important fundamental needs of humankind. So today on Viewpoint, 
whether you think it or not, whether you think this is an issue to be discussed on a program such as Viewpoint, you really need to listen today because you might actually find that whether or not you want to listen, it will change your life and bring healing to your soul. We're all strangers here. We're all strangers here, and today we're going to talk about God's remedy for loneliness. Did you know that God has a remedy for loneliness? He really does. And we're going to talk about that on the program today. Chapter 3 of the book that my wife and I came out with called The Power of Hospitality is called We're All Strangers Here. The Lord love the Lord your God loves the stranger. So we are to therefore love the strangers. The problem is in many in many respects we're all strangers here. It's like what one writer called back in the 1960s crowded loneliness. And crowded loneliness is frightening. In fact, it's almost inescapable in our modern world, isn't it? Unless of course you radically and persistently give yourself to dare we say, hospitality. Men, women, and young people flee isolation and even strangerhood in their own homes and workplaces for the malls, feeling that somehow it's going to give them a sense of belonging, at least in a broad, strange kind of way. At least in the mall, we have a remote yet almost perverted sense of togetherness. Even our church buildings are now designed like malls. Have you noticed that? Breeding grounds for artificial relationships. So we belong to, should we say, a club of strangers yearning desperately for fellowship. I'm remembering now the cry of so many listeners over the years to Viewpoint. We've been on the air now for 27 and a half years. And one of the common things that I hear in response, whether through letters, phone calls, and so on, is... Where can I find a church fellowship that not only loves and teaches the whole truth, but also is concerned about genuine Christian brotherhood and friendship? Where can I find that? Well, I just can't point people to such a place or such a location because the reality is this matter of crowded loneliness is everywhere. In fact, a few years ago, Christianity Today came out with a feature article asking this question, whatever happened to hospitality? Whatever happened to hospitality? Hmm, why would that be asked by a Christian magazine? Because they also sensed that something serious had happened in our country and was happening in the church, and it was destroying, undermining the very ministry of the church and the call of Christ in our lives. So we want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint. This is both a spiritual thing, it is an emotional thing, it's a physical thing, it's a relational thing. In fact, it virtually encompasses all of our lives. It really does. George Barnett, in his book, Virtual America, 
revealed the following astounding statistics a few years ago. I think they should break our hearts, but might even reveal our hearts. Here's what he discovered, and this was maybe 15 years ago. 55% of all non-Christian Americans believe it is getting harder and harder to make lasting friendships. 62% of born-again Christians claim it's getting harder to make lasting friendships. But 73% of all evangelical Christians are finding it difficult to make real friends. It's, it's almost like the stronger the apparent commitment to scriptural authority, the more severe the problem of our relationships. How can such a thing be? And how is it affecting you and your family? And what can you and I do about it? Oh, there is something you can do about it, and it will radically change your life just as it has mine. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. We're all strangers here, and it seems like hyper-individualism is reigning supreme in our country. The problem is not individualism, that each person can make a decision in their own life. The problem is a hyper-individualism that separates us from one another. This is one of the things that Alexis de Tocqueville, that secular Frenchman that came over in 1830, to try to discover what it was that made America great, and he noticed how incredibly the Christian faith linked the entire country together. Even though not everyone was a a professing Christian, they all were brought together in unity by the fear of the Lord and the sense that the Bible did give us the pattern and dimension for life that would make us whole. However, There was something that he noticed in his book, Democracy in America, that very few people are willing to talk about. He talked about the plague of individualism. Now, he wasn't talking about the kind of individualism that actually formed the country individually, where people were ready to strike out to uh, new uh, wildernesses and so on and become creative and not be uh, limited by the strictures of uh, ancient Europe and so on. But he was talking about something that he said was so insidious, he saw the pattern already developing in 1830, and he said this hyper-individualism is so insidious that if it is not dealt with, it will actually destroy the country from the inside out. And that's a pretty amazing uh, prophetic observation, and we're seeing that that is happening. It's not only happening in America that was supposedly a Christian country. It's happening in Russia. It's happening in the U.K. Of course, they both claim to be Christian countries as well, believe it or not. They do. On my daily broadcast viewpoint here, I interviewed H.B. London, who was head of pastoral ministries for Focus on the Family for many years. Our focus was on the topic, Pastors at Risk. 
And here's what he disclosed, that at least 70% of pastors in America claim they have no friends. And one listening pastor later told me he thought the figure was really much higher than that. So you have to ask yourself, whatever happened to Christian community in America? Whatever happened to the covenant community in America? Are we destined to be strangers in the commonwealth of faith? Well, secular and religious observers alike agree on at least one thing. There's an overarching social problem in our country, not AIDS or abortion. It's the total fracture of all sense of community. And now that we've entered the seventh millennium, it seems that we're neither committed to one another nor to life itself. Our our increasing commitment, it seems, is to be to the self and self alone. Maybe, just maybe, that's part of the reason for our increasing sense of loneliness. And it's actually dividing families. The divorce rate among Christians exceeds that of the nation as a large, going back 30 years. The divorce rate among pastors equal that of their congregations, according to a Hartford Seminary study. And the divorce rate among fundamentalist Christians exceeded the nation at large by 7%, according to a Barna report years ago. So it seems Christ may be our Savior, but self has become our King. Believe it or not, A Rutgers University study titled The State of Our Unions revealed that the Bible Belt for the past 20 so years has the highest divorce rate in America outside of Nevada, 50% higher than the nation as a whole. How could such a thing be, friends, that the church has taken the lead even in estranging the family? You see, this matter of we're all strangers here really does play out in the statistics of our country and in our our relationships, our feelings toward one another, resulting in what has been called an epidemic of loneliness. There's a cry for community. America from the church house to the White House and every other house, probably yours, is crying out for genuine community. The question is, is there hope for a revival of true covenant community in this land where our fathers died? I I think there is, and that's what we want to spend our time talking about here on the program today. If you go back to the book of Exodus, you'll find that as the children of Israel, about three million of them, fled Egypt, There were cries of anguish. They had been in slavery under oppression for a very long period of time. And God told them that you should neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Friends, i got to tell you, if you are a believer and have been converted, you are still like a stranger. You're a stranger in a broader society which does not embrace the Lord or his values, his precepts, or even the fear of the Lord. That's why 
God referred to Abraham in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, referred to him as a stranger and a sojourner, even an alien. Do you feel like that? Do you sometimes feel like that? One of the things that has encouraged me greatly is when listeners who have listened to this program for a period of time, they suddenly come to me and they say, finally, I feel like somebody gets it, that I'm really not a total stranger, that somebody else shares these values. Somebody else truly understands. It's very encouraging. But I'll tell you, (laughs) the numbers of people that do that are relatively slim because, in a sense, we're all strangers here. Everybody is estranged from one another. It's not just Christians. Now, before we go further, I want to uh, give you a an entry into hope. An entry into hope. As I said years ago, my wife and I wrote a book called The Power of Hospitality. It came as a result of the Lord revealing to me in the first quarter of our marriage that I had seriously missed one of God's most essential elements for the kingdom of God and living as a Christian. I'm just being really honest with you. Let me tell you the story. My wife uh, had grown up in the church, but her father was not really following the Lord in any meaningful way. He didn't go to church with the family. He worked two or three jobs all the time. And uh, my wife got involved in a wonderful youth group in the congregation that she shared. And she noticed that there were many families that seemed to have an open heart and an open home to welcome in the young people and to provide a womb of acceptance for these young people in the church. And as she looked at these families and looked at these households, she began to yearn for that very thing in her own family. That is, with a husband, with her own husband. Here's the problem. I didn't get it. Now, I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor. In fact, uh, he was a pastor for 50 years, and then another 20 years was a hospital chaplain. And so he spent 70 years in ministry. But growing up, I just did not have the sense of a warm heart of hospitality in our home. Maybe it was because of our economics. The people in those days would say of pastors, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And then we had five kids in the family, and that might have kept my mom pretty busy. But on the other hand, I just didn't sense this warm heart of hospitality. I didn't know how to relate to this. And so my wife became disillusioned. I mean, really disillusioned. By the seventh year of our marriage, she just really had just about given up of that dream, that hope, that vision of having 
a hospitable home that would manifest the kingdom of God in a real sense. So God had to get a hold of my heart independently because I, I just didn't catch it from her. I, I, I just didn't get it. But one period of time, God began to reveal to me the power, importance, in fact, necessity of hospitality as a manifestation of what it really meant to be a Christian. So I began to study it in the Word, and it came to me that from the book of Exodus all the way up through the New Testament, the message of hospitality bound things together in a very real sense. Because we were all strangers here, but God didn't want us to be strangers from him. So in the fullness of time, he sent forth his only begotten son to offer an invitation to us because he knew we were strangers and sojourners here on the earth. So whether you want to refer to it as Christmas time or whenever it was that Jesus sent forth, that father sent forth his son, he sent forth his son to extend an invitation to us. He said, I see that you are a stranger here. I don't want you to be alone. I want you to have fellowship with me. So I'm going to extend an invitation to you that where I am, there you might be also. So I'm preparing a place for you in my house that where I am, there you might be also. Wow. You know what I realized then was that this message of hospitality was actually the heart of the gospel. That there was no gospel ultimately without understanding viscerally and experientially and uh, in terms of an overall vision and understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And then I read passages like the Apostle Paul said to Timothy and Titus, he said, look, you, if you're going to be a leader in the body of Christ of any level, you must first be given to hospitality. Not gifted in hospitality, but given to it. Then he said to Titus, and you also have to be a lover of hospitality. When was the last time you heard of a pastor or any other leader in the church being required to be given to hospitality and a lover of hospitality before they would be accepted in leadership? I don't remember any such thing growing up. And I grew up across the country in the church in many different denominations. I don't ever remember such a requirement. We missed it big time in God's house. And then, as if that were not enough, in Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul is telling us the quintessential elements of what it means to be a Christian, the things that would display the reality of a Christian life, to others. One of the things he says is you must be given to hospitality. Whether or not you're a leader, you must be given to, not gifted in, but given to hospitality. Does that sound like it might be important? Well, it sure did to me. And as a result of that, I began to do a series of teachings in the church that we were in at that time. It covered 13 weeks, 
And at the end of those 13 weeks, the group that we were ministering to, which was a large Sunday school class, doubled in size. Doubled in size. And the church leadership began to notice it. We went from about 40 to 80. And it shocked the pastor. So they came in and they raided our congregate, our, our uh, uh, fellowship, this large Sunday school class called Faith Builders. They raided it for leadership, stripped away all of the primary leadership to form another group. So we said, Lord, what do we do now? He said, do what you were doing. Minister in hospitality. And we did. And the group doubled again. I'm telling you, friends, the power of hospitality is real. You can get a copy of the book that contains that message on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. What a delight it is to join you here on Viewpoint daily to talk about the things that matter most. From God's eternal perspective, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, today we're talking about this matter of, well, we're all strangers here, so how do we break this loneliness crisis? You can't break the loneliness crisis for 10 million or 100 million people, but you can break it for one or two. You see, they say that all politics begins at home. Well, the reality is that all spirituality begins at home. All Christian life begins at home. All defeating of loneliness begins at home. Because home is where the heart supposedly is, right? A number of years ago, on this program, I interviewed J. Kirby Anderson. He had written a book called Signs of Warning, Signs of Hope. And in that book, he warned us that the baby boom generation was headed for a crisis of loneliness. Since the baby boom generation comprised the single largest generation in American history up to that time, our entire society, he said, is in for a revelation of the consequences of fractured community, a revelation beyond anything yet experienced or even comprehended. Wow. Another wrote, the editor of Time magazine, 
a Michigan woman was lamenting. She says, what we crave is people, the closeness of relatives, a neighbor, an unexpected guest. They're gained by reaching out. But a New York man cut through all the soreness of loneliness amid our 21st century crying the blues. And here's what he said. Feeling miscast in our own lives, we experience depression almost as a moral stand, a protest against a world we do not understand. Well, that's a lot of that's going on. And, of course, the so-called pandemic didn't help at all, did it? Where we were forced to be lonely. We were forced to separate from one another, forced into our homes, forced not to meet as churches, forced to wear masks so we couldn't recognize one another. And our leaders seemed to revel in it because it allowed them to gain control rather than to facilitate health and healing in our society. So we became known as the alone generation. All strangers here. Have you ever heard the phrase, he died of a broken heart? Well, believe it or not, a Harvard sociologist has warned about the emotionally, uh, the, the one of the social consequences of the fragmentation of social groups would be loneliness and a legacy of coldness. Another consequence is insecurity and the nagging question, who cares for me? So, Loneliness can truly break the heart. Another book, The Broken Heart, The Medical Consequences of Loneliness, stated the price we are paying for our failure to understand our biological needs for love and human companionship may be ultimately exacted in our own hearts and our blood vessels. According to studies at both the University of California and University of Michigan, Adults who do not belong to nurturing groups or relationships have a death rate twice as high as those with frequent caring contact. Whoa. That's a big deal. Then we get to a Harvard uh, education study, Loneliness in America, how the pandemic deepened an epidemic of loneliness that already existed. 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, feel serious loneliness. It appears to have increased substantially since the outbreak of the so-called global pandemic. And it's resulting in steep costs, early mortality a wide array of serious physical and emotional problems, including depression, anxiety, heart disease, substance abuse, and domestic abuse. And even though we may have lots of people around us in our mega churches still feel lonely, it's a pretense of relationship. So what America craves for is restored covenant community. In fact, that's why we prefer and have called our large house church for the past 29 years Covenant Community, because we felt that that best defined what the church was to be, a people in covenant with the Lord reflected in their covenant relationship with one another. 
Does that sound good to you? That's what people are crying for. So what is hospitality anyway? At its root, hospitality is to reach to strangers. And we're all strangers here, aren't we? Hospitality means to reach to strangers. But how can we reach to strangers when we think it's all about me? In a me, me, me generation, how do we reach to strangers? It just doesn't compute, does it? Selfishness and a selfie world just doesn't contribute to breaking the crisis of loneliness. So guess what? The people most likely to make a difference in breaking this crisis of loneliness are professing believers. That is, if we really are believers, if we really do believe what the Bible says, if we do really believe that God in the fullness of time, which is what Christmas was all about, sent forth his son as a babe at a manger to give us the hope of salvation so that we would no longer be strangers from the commonwealth of faith, but we would be included and given the hope of living with him in fellowship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes. And that he would welcome us because he had reserved a place for us in his home. So, a few years ago, the Holy Spirit, I believe, inspired me with an acronym to help people make it simple for people to understand the power of hospitality. And here it is. Hospitality opens people everywhere. Hope. That's what we need, right? Hope. Hospitality opens opens people everywhere. Now don't say, well, but but I don't I'm not given to I'm I'm not gifted in hospitality. God never called you to be gifted in hospitality. He called you to give yourself to it. That's what love is all about. That's what agape love is. Hospitality is the practical working out or application of agape love, which is what God calls us to do. And if there's any season in which that should become a reality for us, wouldn't you think it would be the very season when God sent forth to give us hope through his heart of hospitality, extending his hand of hospitality because of his heart of hospitality for us and to extend an invitation into his home of hospitality? That's the gospel, friends, distilled. Now, there are a whole lot of other things that God wants to be characteristic of our lives. But the first thing is we must reflect the love of Christ. Everybody wants to talk about love, 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 but they talk about it in terms of a feeling. You see, agape love is not a feeling. It's something you give yourself to. And that's why hospitality is the quintessential expression on the ground, in practicality, in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your home, of what God desires. His heart of hospitality. You and I are to be hospitable because we're like God. 
So he reached to strangers, of which you and I were one, and now we reach to strangers because God's Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, now even so send I you. Isn't that great? So I can't communicate to you all of this, but I will tell you this, that once I caught that vision, which was around the 10th year of our marriage, everything changed. It was dramatic. It had an effect on how we spent our money. It had an effect on how we spent our time. It had an effect on how we related to other people. In our neighborhood and in our church congregation and everywhere else, all of our relationship. It changed everything because hospitality opens people everywhere. It provides hope. It bound our family together, our daughters together as mom and dad. They saw began to give themselves to hospitality in ways that had never happened before. It changed our relationship in our congregation. It opened up ministry in ways that could never have happened otherwise. That's how you reach into people's hearts and lives who feel lonely even in a crowd, even in the crowd in your church. And for many people, even in a church of 100 or 200 people, they still feel lost in the crowd. So what do we do? The subtitle of our book, The Power of Hospitality, is An Open Heart, Open Hand, An open home will change your world. Are you willing to have the Holy Spirit change your world and cause your home and your life, your heart, your hand, your home to be life-changing, not only for yourself, but for others? Get a copy of the book, The Power of Hospitality. $15. We'll put it in your hands on the website, saveus.org. SaveUs.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today, we're taking a look at a life-changing call that God is making to us here on the near edge of the second coming. You say, why would you bring up the subject of hospitality in the context of the second coming? 
What do they have to do with one another? Oh, my dear friend, they have everything to do with one another. It's just that you haven't been told about it. It hasn't been preached in our pulpits. It hasn't been written about in our Christian books. The Apostle Peter wrote, he said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, use hospitality without grudging. Did you hear that? The Apostle Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, use hospitality and use it without grudging. In other words, don't think it's something you have to do. It's something you want to do because your life has been radically changed. You have God's heart in you now. God's heart is to provide hope. Hospitality opens people everywhere. That's why in the fullness of time, he extended his his own hand through hospitality to send Jesus, the minister of his hospitality, who displayed from an open heart and an open hand what the hospitality of God was about, the Father. Then... When Jesus ascended back to the Father, he said, as the Father sent me, now even the same way have I sent you. In other words, we're supposed to be emulating Jesus in being hospitable. We're supposed to reach to strangers. And in reality, everybody is a stranger now. Think about it. What explains the massive divorce rate in our country, and in the church. Um, Among other things, other than spiritual rebellion, the thing that explains it is selfishness. Inhospitality. We're not hospitable even to our own spouses. We're strangers to our own spouses. And how about the relationship of children to their parents? Children are estranged from their parents. Parents are estranged from their children, even in so-called Christian homes. Pastors are estranged from their wives. Estranged from their children. H.B. London said that uh, one of the principal cries of pastors at the time when he was heading up pastoral ministries for Focus on the Family, he said one of the uh, preeminent cries was from Christian wives, wives of husbands, who said that 70% of them said that their husbands did not provide the kind of marital relationship that uh, would bring glory to God. 70%. In other words, the husbands were estranged from the wives, the wives from the husbands, even in pastoral ministry. How in the world were they going to communicate to the flock, the people, when they themselves didn't get it? And quite frankly, that's how I felt 
when for the first 10 years of our marriage, I just did not understand what my wife was getting at. What is this hospitable hospitality that you're talking about? It's not putting on the dog, friends. It's not getting out your finest china and putting on the dog and spending uh, hours that break down your family and make your family angry in order to put on the dog and show how great you are to some guest. That's not about hospitality. That's selfishness. Hospitality is to reach to people. It's to reach to others. It's to reach to strangers. It's to welcome them first through your heart, then through your hand, and then into your home. A lot of people will say, well, you know, my home is not a place to welcome other people. Well, that may be partly because your heart is not hospitable. Because if your heart were hospitable, you would conduct yourself in your home such that it would be a welcoming place for your spouse and your children. Wouldn't you? It's not about being fancy. It's about being a real Christian. Even going back to our founding... Back in 1630, when that godly lawyer, John Winthrop, brought over 30, uh, three boat, excuse me, four boatloads of Puritans in 1630, and he wrote that model of Christian charity that was the guideline, uh, sort of like a godly constitution for the people as they, before they landed. He's the one that talked about the city set on a hill that Ronald Reagan repeated. He said, we must delight in each other, make other conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our community as members of the same body. Notice it wasn't about individualism. It was about community. He said, we are a company professing ourselves fellow members of Christ, and we ought to account ourselves knit together by this bond of love and live in the exercise of it. But he says, if if we don't do that, If we think that the Lord will bear with such failings, we're kidding ourselves. ourselves. So he said, if we will live this out, we will cause the nations of the world to look at this country and this people as bringing glory to God. But if we forsake it and become selfish, we will become a curse and a byword among the nations. What's been happening? Do you see what's been happening? So hospitality, you see, is not a gift I have. It's a gift I give. Hospitality is not primarily a matter of art, but of heart. And it's more easily caught than taught. So it's very difficult for me to communicate here in 45, 50 minutes what we're really talking about here. But hospitality is the universal ministry. It's a non-delegable duty. You can't delegate it. It's a universal ministry, confession of faith in Christ, in our convictions, but hospitality reveals Christ moving in our hearts. It's the missing link of all ministry. 
for those who call themselves by the name of the Lord. It's a huge issue. Now, so why do we feel lonely in a crowd? Dr. Yvette Erasmus asked that question in a piece that she wrote. People feeling deeply lonely and isolated in their primary relationships. People wondering if their people are even out there, and if they are, where to find them. She said humans have a deep longing for connection and community. We're wired for love. Loneliness is not alleviated by simple sharing space with other people, but rather by the quality of the interactions with said people. We can only connect with others to the degree that we're able to connect with ourselves. And the more we try to change ourselves to fit the world, the lonelier we become. It's true. Very true. You remember, well, some of you wouldn't remember, but back in the days of the 60s, there was a musical group called The Beatles. And they had a song, and I remember just a few words from this song. I didn't even know what it was called. Come to find out, it's called Eleanor Rigby. And here were some of the lyrics. Ah, look at all the lonely people. Ah, look at all the lonely people. I thought they were saying, I see all the lonely people. Well, I guess that's exactly what they were saying. All the lonely people. Do you see all the lonely people out there? God does. And he wants you and he wants me to be an agent of his healing, his hope. Because hospitality opens people everywhere, starting with the heart. Pastors get a hold of this message, and instead of operating from the heart, they try to create a system out of it. No, it's not a church-growing system. Your church will grow naturally to the extent that you live hospitably. You get the difference? Look, you don't even have to own a home to live a heart of hospitality. Hospitality is not a feeling I have, but it's the love that I do. Reaching to others, reaching to strangers, starting in the household of faith, starting in our own homes. Life transforming. Ever since that 10 years, the first 10 years of our marriage, when the Lord got a hold of my heart, our whole life ever since then, our decisions have been formed based upon the call to hospitality. If my wife were to come on the broadcast today, she would agree with that wholeheartedly. Where is your heart? Do you have an open heart expressed in an open hand that opens your home to strangers? Maybe it can begin in your home with your family. They have to see it first. And then maybe in your neighborhood. I remember 
when we moved into a new neighborhood in California about 40 years ago, it was a two-block street. And I was an attorney at that time, so I prepared a subpoena, kind of a fancy document, and uh, prepared a subpoena and walked door to door and served the subpoena on every household. What was it for? To call them to come to our home for a special time of fellowship, breaking bread together. At this season, it was Christmas time. On that particular day, we saw people walking down the street from both directions. When they gathered in our home, it was crowded, but they all wanted to be together. It was amazing. And then we heard the testimony of one said, we have lived in this neighborhood for 17 years. We've lived across from this couple here for 17 years and never even met them. But now they're rejoicing. Because for the first time in 17 years, they were able to meet the couple that lived across the street. Wow. And that's just one of many tales. Hospitality opens people everywhere, friends. An open heart, an open hand, and an open home will change your world. In fact, it'll change your life first. Get a copy of the book, The Power of Hospitality, $15 on our website, saveus.org. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Just call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or go to the website, saveus.org. What a gift this would make to your whole family and to the family of God. You might even want to get a coffee for your pastor. It might revolutionize his life. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friend. Send your gifts by faith today to Save America Ministries. God will bless you, I know, because he loves a faithful giver. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.